1942, when the Japanese Imperial Army overran the Philippines, thousands of American and Philippine and Allied troops were forced to surrender. And historians call what happened next the Bataan Death March. Uh, Thousands of Allied soldiers lost their lives trudging over 60 miles uh, in searing heat and humidity. Stragglers were put to death, and they were placed in one of the most brutal POW camps. It was called Cabanatuan. A corporal in that camp, an American by the name of Alfred Jolly, remembers his three years there. Listen to what he says. At first, we tried to live like humans. We cared for each other while there was medicine. We took vitamin pills while they lasted. We tried to look our Sunday best, but things just kept getting worse. And after a couple of years, just keeping alive was tough. We, we lived on rice for breakfast, rice for lunch, and rice and water for dinner. I lost 93 pounds. And what made us hungrier was the way they worked us. We pumped their water. We brought their rations. We did their labor. And we didn't, we didn't know at all what was going on on the outside world. Alfred Jolly said that dozens of cards that he sent to his mother. Dozens of cards that he sent. In three years, she received just nine. Just nine. He said, we began to give up hope because the enemy kept showing us their propaganda movies. They they were proving to us that they had the world and we saw how they took the Philippines and we saw how they landed in the Aleutians and we saw their strength and for all we knew, they might be sitting in California or Colorado This was funny the way we worried back in prison camp. If anybody was remembering us, we began to give up hope. But then Corporal Alfred Jolly spoke three words that absolutely transformed everything. Three words. We saw planes. We saw planes. We saw American planes. I mean, you could just feel the hope in his words as he said this. Now, now their conditions hadn't changed. They were still prisoners of war. They could still count their ribs. They were still wearing the filthy remains of what had once been crisp army uniforms. And yet, once they saw the planes, everything changed. Everything. They knew they were going to win. They knew their deliverance was near if they could just endure, if they could just hang on. They knew that victory was theirs. We saw planes. Church family, this morning, I want us to see planes. I I want you to see some soaring scriptures that speak of our destiny, our future, the victory that is brought to us by our King. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. You'll find that on page 987 of your church Bibles. And these verses tell of our final and complete deliverance. These verses tell about an event which is the most significant 
catalyst our world will ever know of. All of the roads of history and all of the verses of Bible prophecy converge on this event. And when this event happens, it will unlock the door to our future. These verses are the plains. And I don't believe that you can have a fully developed faith if you don't get and understand and it sinks into your soul the message and truth of these verses. So please listen carefully. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the Sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is God's word. Did you hear what we just read? Paul speaks of the coming of the Lord. It's it's a word that means more than just coming. It's a word that means appearing. It's a word that means presence, coming, appearing, presence. The Lord himself. We will be with the Lord forever. Paul speaks of a coming day when our high king will appear. Jesus himself. And history as we know it will be a thing of the past. Time will be no more. And at his coming, at his appearing, at his very presence, Jesus will usher in the new heavens and the new earth and we will receive new bodies. He will finalize the remaking of all things new. This is what Paul's trying to say. Uh, To put it just in a sentence, here it is. Our destiny in resurrected bodies on a resurrected world by the power of the resurrected Christ. There it is. Resurrected bodies, resurrected world by the power of the resurrected Christ. That's his message here. That's what he wants us to encourage one another about in these verses. Now, You know, when I take us through a passage of Scripture, often I use a very simple uh, outline. What, so what, now what? Some of you may be familiar with that. Here the Apostle Paul, well, he answers and takes us through these verses by answering three questions, uh, yet in this way. So what, what, now what? 
And so let's just take Paul's approach here as we look through this passage of Scripture with the so what, the why. Why is Paul talking about this? What made Paul include the, of all of the things that he could write in 1 Thessalonians, why would he write about this? What made him include these verses? And the answer is simple. Someone's died. Someone's died. Oh, oh, oh my, that's, that's why these are here. These verses verses are needed for your three-in-the-morning phone call. Sooner or later, you're going to get a call at three o'clock in the morning, and it's not going to be a good call. They never are. And when you get that tragic phone call at three o'clock in the morning, you're going to need a faith system. You're going to need a theology You're going to need a belief system that's going to carry you through the storm of a three-in-the-morning phone call. And if your theology doesn't help you at three o'clock in the morning, it's not going to help you at three o'clock in the afternoon. You You need something to anchor you and to ground you and to help you and to give you hope. Someone has died, verse 13 We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That's a metaphor for death. Paul is using the imagery of sleeping as a metaphor, as a word picture for death, because sleep is what the body looks like at death. You see, after the apostle Paul was run out of the city of Thessalonica, persecuted for the sake of the gospel, He sent Timothy to check on their spiritual progress. And so Timothy returned. He came back and he had a very positive report to Paul. Now Thessalonica is in the northern part of Greece and Paul was in Corinth in the southern part. And so Timothy had a good report. But he also had a list of questions that he wanted the apostle Paul to answer and to respond. And so that's why we have these topics Beginning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, why in 4 verses 1 through 12, they had questions like, okay, Paul, how do we live a holy life in an unholy culture? And so Paul responded to them in those verses. Well, in 13 through 18, someone has died, and the Thessalonians want to know what will happen to Christians who have died in Christ. You see, this was a house church. And the dynamic was such that if someone or someone's family member died, why, everybody's going to know about it. Or they're going to have a personal connection with the deceased. These, These Christians have suffered persecution for the gospel, and perhaps one of their own was marginalized, perhaps one of them was discriminated against, or worse, maybe one of them gave their life out of loyalty to Jesus. We're not sure. But what we are sure of is that there's grieving that's going on. There's heartbreak and angst. And we know that they need a word of encouragement from the apostle because they live in a culture of hopelessness. Uh, In the first century, in the Roman Empire, I mean, there was just a hopeless, hopeless attitude about death. And you... We'll learn that if you just check out some of the inscriptions on the Roman tombstones. Consider some of these. One inscription says, if you want to know who I am, the answer is ash and burnt embers. Well, that's cheerful. (laughs) Not. Another reads, 
We are nothing. See, reader, how quickly we mortals return from nothing to nothing. And then here's another inscription. I didn't exist. I existed. I don't exist. I don't care. And then, you remember Gladiator? Proximo, who was the slave owner for Maximus. I mean, he tells us of their, he's right on when he says uh, in the movie, Marcus Aurelius is dead, Maximus. We mortals are but shadows and dust. Shadows and dust, Maximus. That's a culture of hopelessness. And Paul responds as a pastor. He comes alongside this church. He comes alongside as a nursing mother, chapter 2, verse 7. He comes alongside as a father, exhorting and encouraging and charging, chapter 2, verse 11. These folks need a pastor, and so he comes alongside these believers, feeding them comfort and feeding them truth and how they need it. And so do we. So do we. Um, Some time ago, You may remember that our church family took a web-based survey in which we were asking you to respond to us about issues pertaining to the unique strengths of this congregation as a whole and growth areas that we need to explore as a congregation. And part of that survey, of which uh, about 350 of you, which in uh, the size of our congregation was a very good sampling, um, part of those questions had to do with demographics. And um, you may have figured this out by now. We're a young church. Uh, uh, 30% of you who responded to that survey um, are, were between the ages of 26 and 40. So a third of our church. And that doesn't even count uh, uh, the, the, our birth through 12th graders. Okay, that's, that's like another 30%. So we're, we're a young church. And... Uh, and, and that's what, and here's what this means. Death is in our future. I don't mean to spoil your pretty sunny June day. But death is in our future. You know, you're either going to die younger than you'd like, or you're going to live longer only to see your friends and family die. That's the deal. That's the deal. Now, what's going to give you hope in the midst of that deal? How are you going to grieve with hope? It seems to me like in our country right now, there is this mindset about grief. I I, I call it the Lion King mindset about grief. It's the circle of life thing, right? You know, death is a part of life, and you die, and then you become fertilizer and part of the earth, and decomposition happens, and you feed the grass, and the grass feeds the animals, and the animals feed on other animals, and so on and so forth, and you're kind of helping out. You're getting recycled, and death is natural. Do you feel encouraged? (laughs) The Lion King mindset. Really? Really? Then why did Jesus weep at the tomb of Lazarus? Why, Why did he grieve intensely over his friend? And if you read John's gospel... You'll see that he, he wept, and, and he did so in a, he was disturbed in an angry sort of way. Why? Why? Because it's natural? No, because Jesus said that death is an intruder. 
Death is an enemy. And Jesus came to do something about it. And, and, and when you say that death is natural, you're killing a part of your heart because you know in your heart you're not like a tree. You know in your heart you're not like just an, an, any animal. You were created to think self-consciously. You were created to reason. You were created to make moral judgments. You were created to be creative. You and I have deep desires. We want our lives to matter. We don't want to be thought of as insignificant. We want to know that our lives mean something. So then what's going to give you hope at three in the morning? Hope for unthinkable suffering. Hope in the emergency room. Hope in hospice. Hope in tragedy. These verses teach us that we can have hope and we can grieve. We can have a hopeful grief. Please don't walk out of here thinking that verse 13 says that you're not allowed to grieve. That's not what Paul says here. Somewhere someone taught the error that to grieve is to somehow be unspiritual. Well, that's just not true. These verses say that we can have hope and we can grieve because our hopeful grief stands on an immovable mountain of truth. And what is that truth? Well, that's where Paul gives us his big idea. Resurrected bodies, resurrected world, brought about by the resurrected Christ. Our future is with the Son of God and the people of God in the new heavens and the new earth. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you hear what Paul's doing? His starting point with the coming, appearing presence of Christ is with the resurrection of Christ. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. The most important doctrine of Christianity is the doctrine of the bodily resurrection of Christ. And that one sentence reveals what will happen to those who belong to Jesus. They too, if they die with him, that is, through being united with him, they will also rise again. Christianity is stubborn about the resurrection, as it should be. Did not the Apostle Paul himself say in the letter to the Corinthians that if the resurrection has not happened, then we are to be pitied more than anybody else? But why should we believe about a coming of Christ? I mean, why should we believe about this this day, this appearing, that Jesus will appear? What is this, some sort of Christian science fiction? Well, if you believe that God exists then it's not irrational to believe that God can raise the dead. Or as the atheist philosopher Peter Slezak nicely put it, for a God who is able to create the entire universe, the resurrection is child's play. But specifically in verse 14, what we believe about the coming of Christ is grounded in what we believe about the resurrection of Christ. And what we believe about the resurrection of Christ is grounded on several irrefutable historical facts. Your faith is... Listen, faith is never a blind leap in the dark. Faith is always a decision based on evidence. And here is the evidence. Several irrefutable facts. Irrefutable fact number one, Jesus died. That's a historical fact. He died. He died on a Roman cross. Irrefutable fact number two, 
Jesus' body was placed in the tomb of a man named Joseph of Arimathea. Eyewitnesses attest to that irrefutable fact. Irrefutable fact number three, on the third day, and keep in mind that they counted a part of the day as a whole. So part of Friday is one, all day Saturday, part of Sunday. On the third day, the tomb was empty. Irrefutable fact number four, witnesses in various groups and at various times all testify to having an experience of the risen Christ. They saw, they touched, they they witnessed him consuming food. They heard him say, does a ghost have hands and feet like I do? 500 at one time. Paul says in Corinthians, and most of whom are still alive, as if to say, go ask them. They're the, footmo- they're the footnotes in my research paper. See, an irrefutable fact. These witnesses who had experiences of the risen Christ. And then irrefutable fact number five, the transformed lives of those who had previously doubted and disbelieved Jesus himself. What are, we to, what are we to make of these irrefutable facts? We put them together, and it is reasonable to conclude that Jesus, in fact, was raised from the dead. And therefore, it is reasonable to trust the promises of Christ. We can trust what happened at Jesus' resurrection, and we can trust what Jesus says concerning your resurrection because he was resurrected from the dead. That's going to be replicated at your resurrection. But let's make sure we understand what resurrection means because resurrection does not mean a disembodied life in some Star Wars cloud city. That's not what we're talking about. Resurrection is bodily. It is the re-embodiment of God's people to live with and for God in a new redeemed world that God will make. See, your body is merely a container, a container for the real you. And therefore, when the true king appears to make all things new, he will remake your body into the likeness of his glorious body, and we will be with him forever. Resurrected body, resurrected world, resurrected Christ. And verses 15 through 17 describe how this all unfolds. And here's what Paul says to summarize these verses. Christ appears. The dead in Christ are raised into new bodies. The living in Christ are transformed into their new bodies. And we will all be with the Lord forever. There it is. Now, to understand some of what Paul is saying here in these verses, you need to understand that Paul is mixing his metaphors. He's drawing on word pictures and metaphors from uh, Moses, from Daniel, and even from the Roman Empire. Yes, like concerning Moses, this image of Moses ascending and descending to meet the Lord in Exodus 19, that shows up in verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven and then the phrase, with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump, all of that, that's Exodus 19 imagery. Metaphors of glory and power and shock and awe on Sinai. 
And then Paul moves to images of clouds in Daniel chapter 7. And they all have to do with the ideas of exaltation and vindication and exoneration and victory. Jesus was proclaimed as son of God on high by his resurrection from the dead. And so will his people. What's true of Jesus will be true of us. And then the result, here's where we get to the Roman word picture. The result is this royal appearing by Christ himself. That's the image in verse 17. You see, in the Roman Empire, when the emperor paid a visit to a city, it was called the emperor's coming, the emperor's presence, the emperor's appearing. And it was protocol for the citizens of the city to go outside the city to meet their emperor and then accompany him back, escort him back for the final stage of his journey. And so that phrase, to meet, has to do with being caught up. And that's a technical word to describe the entourage, the parade of this conquering king who comes into the city. So instead of you waiting for the king to come into the city, you go outside and then you accompany him back and says, so listen, listen, what Paul is describing here is, is, is not some silly, mysterious rapture leaving pilotless airplanes and driverless cars. Rather, we are caught up and brought into our resurrection body and we will be with Jesus who's been ruling all along. We just haven't been seeing him, but at his appearing Jesus will very much be present and very much be in charge and the dead in Christ will be raised and the living in Christ will be transformed. What I'm trying to tell you is that heaven is not just this far, far, far away space out there beyond Pluto. Ultimately, God through Jesus is going to bring heaven to earth in the new heavens and the new earth and they will be unified. And that's been the plan all along, Ephesians 1.10, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. And just as Jesus had a resurrection body, if you are in Christ, you will have a resurrection body. Church, our future is not fleeting. Our future is about walking and hugging, and singing, and loving, and touching, and eating, and drinking with Jesus. I can't wait to taste the coffee in the new heavens and the new earth. (laughs) We're going to get the family we always wanted in the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to get the body we always wanted. Come, Jesus, now. We're going to get to do the art that we've always wanted. We're going to get to do the writing, the creative writing we've always wanted. We're going to get to do the music that we've... We're going to get to do the farming that we always wanted, the recreational athletic abilities that we always wanted, the business commerce skills that we always wanted. I'm going to get to preach and pastor and teach the way I've always wanted in the new heavens and the new earth. And we're going to see these gifts and these abilities in one another and we're going to be amazed with joy and we're going to say things like, you know, I always knew, I always knew that you could be like this. I always knew that. There, there, you know, I saw glimpses of this before. This is our destiny. Resurrected body, resurrected world, resurrected Christ. For God has not destined us for wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Now, when you read a passage of Scripture like this, I mean, they're, they're, this just prompts half a dozen other questions, right? And one of them might simply be this. Okay, well, so where is my loved one who died in Christ, like, right now? Right now, if, if, if we won't receive our resurrection bodies until the day of his appearing, and that day has yet to come, where is my loved one until then? And let me just use the answer that Jesus gave to that terrorist on the cross who said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, today, today you will be with me, and here he uses the word, paradise. Paradise, a, a place of beauty, a place of rest, a place of joy, a place of bliss. Later on in the New Testament, uh, the apostle Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And in Philippians, Paul said, you know, I desire to depart and be with Christ. And then he says this, which is better by far, better by far. But that's still not the final place. So what we're talking about is life after life after death. The final place is the resurrected heavens and earth and resurrected bodies brought on by the resurrected king. That's our destiny. And, and, and I like how uh, Tom Wright put it. At death, God will download our software into his hardware until the time when he gives us new hardware to run the software again for ourselves. <laughs> there it is. At death, God will download our software onto his hardware until the time when he gives us new hardware to run the software again for ourselves. Resurrected body, resurrected world, resurrected Christ. That's the what. Now what? What do we do with that? Verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one. Listen, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, whatever happens to your life, whatever happens at three in the morning, it is to prepare you for the day when our emperor appears. And on that day, I mean, we're going to all be together and we're going to get to see, we're going to get to see Stephanie and we're going to get to see Karen, and we're going to get to see Caleb, and we're going to get to see Caleb, and we're going to get to see Nani, and we're going to get to see Gordon, and we're going to get to see Karen, and we're going to get to see Amanda, and we're going to get to see Al. We're going to get to see our loved ones. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Imagine a body that gets more beautiful that gets stronger, that gets smarter, that becomes more intelligent, more emotionally and spiritually mature, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. If you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ. If you're not in Christ. If, you, if, you, if you've been listening and you're saying, the, the okie on the stage has gone bonkers. Okay. <laughs> Let me just poke you 
with a question from C.S. Lewis. And here it is. If you are really a product of a materialistic universe, how is it that you don't feel at home here? If if you really are a product of a materialistic universe, why then do you find yourself feeling frustrated about what's going on in our world? Do fish complain of the sea for being wet? You notice how we're always surprised with time? Right? We say, oh my, how, my, how time flies. I can't believe it's you. You're all grown up and married. I can hardly believe it. Well, why do we say that? Why do we say that? Unless indeed there is something in us which is not of time. The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in the hearts of people. God has, God has wired your heart for eternity. God's wired your heart for a longing for him and a longing that only he can fill. And God wants to fill it. God wants to fill it. And he is looking forward to being with you in the new heavens and the new earth through Christ. He is looking forward to what the apostle John calls in the book of Revelation, the wedding feast of the Lamb. There is no one who wants you in heaven more than God. Johnny Erickson Tata um, was paralyzed in a diving accident as a teenager. She's been a quadriplegic for over 45 years. And she draws parallels between her wedding day and Jesus' love for his church. And the hope that we have in him, she wrote, I felt awkward as my girlfriend strained to lift my paralyzed body into this cumbersome wedding gown. No amount of corseting and binding my body gave me a perfect shape. The dress just didn't fit. And then as I was wheeling into the church, I glanced down. I noticed that I'd accidentally run over the hem of my dress, leaving a greasy tire mark, and my paralyzed hands couldn't hold the bouquet of daisies that lay off center on my lap. And and my chair, although it was decorated for the wedding, was still this big, clunky, gray machine with belts and gears and ball bearings. I certainly didn't feel like a picture-perfect bride in a bridal magazine. But I inched my chair closer to the last pew to catch a glimpse of Ken. And there he was, standing tall and stately in his formal attire. And I saw him looking for me, craning his neck to look up the aisle. My face flushed, and suddenly I couldn't wait to be with him. I had seen my beloved. The love in Ken's face had washed away all of my feelings of unworthiness. I was his pure and perfect bride. How easy it is for us to think that we're utterly unlovely, especially to someone as lovely as Christ. But he loves us with the bright eyes of a bridegroom's love, and he cannot wait for us to be united with him forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Resurrected body, resurrected world, resurrected, resurrected Christ, Christ.